Hey, Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome back to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado, and I am joined as I usually am by our, with our beat writer, Carter Baines, who has been absolute, absolute beast mode covering Oregon State practice in 100 degree temperatures. Carter, how on the heck are you? I'm good after a kind of a refreshing weekend. You took over for me, made it to the scrimmage while I was over in Central Oregon. Uh, a nice, you know, a, a nice recharge, very, yeah, very much yeah. needed after that week of sweating buckets out there on the practice field and 100 degree heat but today was nice it was only probably 70 75 during practice it was at reser uh, not quite as hot kind of made myself comfortable on those bleachers there lean back a little bit and watch some football nice well yeah i was in reser as well and it was not 75 and the thing that got me was humidity it was super humid but um at least i wasn't in full pads and i i i took one for the team but I know Beaver Blitz members are super happy you're back because your practice reports are like a thousand times better than mine. So you're back and we are good to go. Um, before I jump into that, for those of you that have not been reading Carter's practice reports, um, now is your time to jump in to 24-7 and Beaver Blitz as we are currently running a fall practice promo, fall camp promo, save 75% off an annual subscription. It makes it like two twenty four a month, so um, yeah, it is the best deal you will find. It will give you a full year of access in Carter's reports, my reports, um, JP's weekly walk off for uh, baseball. So definitely, you will not find a better deal. And I urge you to jump in, join our community in the lodge, and uh, we would love to have you. After that plug, though, Carter. I think it's time we talk a little beaver football. Last week, you and I talked and kind of previewed the entire roster from top to bottom because we recorded it uh, before camp started. Now we've seen a week. We are, what, nine? No, is it nine days? Nine days in? Today was day nine, yeah. Nine days in, and uh, we're starting to learn some things. Now the, the practices have been vanilla. They're starting to ramp up. But let's just start right off the bat with who has been missing, who, um, you know, various injuries. I, I think we have Isaac Hodgins out uh, with a significant injury, but just give us a rundown on who's been out and maybe who's been popping back in. So I've got the obvious ones, kind of the, the long-term ones um, that I, I think most people, if they've been following the team, know about. You mentioned Isaac Hodgins out for eight weeks with a foot injury. Uh, he had surgery last week. He was actually at practice today. He he rode in on his bike and and watched from the bleachers. So that was kind of fun to see. I can tell he was he's on definitely, a bike with a broken yeah, foot. Yeah, he, he was wearing a boot and he, you know, he's moving moving around really well. He was able to walk on his boot and everything. And uh, you can tell he's just itching to get back out there. He was you know high fiving his teammates from the bleachers and everything. So that was kind of fun to watch. Um, outside of that, Jonathan Riley tore his ACL in the spring. He's still out and recovering from that. Uh, we don't expect to see him this year at all. Uh, who else? Tegan Quatoriano, work, still working back from that foot injury that he suffered over the summer. Um, looks like he's getting pretty close to return, actually. He's moving around pretty well out there and 
you know, warming up with the team, stretching and everything. And he actually, I saw him doing some, some sprints on the sideline today. Yeah. So. I saw him with his helmet on Friday too. I mean, it, he was holding it. He put it on a couple of times. I think he was just more mm-hmm. wanting to get out there, but at least he's not mm-hmm. working with trainers. Yeah. So that's always a good sign when you see him doing sprints on the sideline, you know, that uh, they're typically pretty close to a full return. And then Ben Goldbranson uh, is out with a shoulder injury until I believe the timeline was right around October. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen so, him at practice at all? Yeah. He, he's been out there, um, okay. you know, not, not suiting up at all, obviously just kind of in, in street clothes, but he's, he's been working with the quarterbacks and kind of just helping out, not, not going through any drills, but um, he's, he's hanging out with the group and, and talking to the coaches and everything. So he's been active. And then there's just kind of some more minor injuries that have, that have limited some guys recently. Uh, Trey Lowe, an undisclosed injury. Jaden Grant has been dealing with a lower leg injury since, well, really since the first day of camp. It was a surprise not to see him out there. He actually returned today um, in limited fashion. He didn't go in live drills, but he's been limited. Alton Julian was limited today. Keontae Shad has missed the last couple of days with a knee injury. Shane Cady has yet to practice. John McCartan has missed a couple of practices. Chance Nolan was absent today. Nathan Eldridge was not practicing today, nor was Cooper Darling, another offensive lineman. Mikey Alfieri at running back has not practiced. And then Hanelli Bloomfield on the offensive line has missed the last couple of practices as well, as well. And I believe that is everyone. Got it. Got it. Well, how about on, on the more, on a positive note, I mean, this isn't, I mean, you and I've covered a lot of practices and, and, just we want to remind Beaver fans that just because guys are taking days off or have injuries doesn't mean that they're going to miss a significant amount of the season. Um, some guys they just hold out cautionarily, or they just have little little nicks and dings. I mean, it's a lot of work putting your body through a lot. So um, on a positive note, though, on Saturday I saw Addison Gumps, and I think you saw him today. How is how has he been looking? He was a standout today. He had multiple sacks in live drills. Um, the last practice that I saw live before today was last Thursday and he had a really impressive sack on in that practice as well, where he kind of bullied his way through the, the defensive line or through the, through the offensive line and, and got to the quarterback pretty quickly. Um, and it, just more of that today from him. I, I think he's back at full strength. Now he did sit out a couple of practices towards the beginning of camp. Um, not with any new injury or anything. They're just, you know, they want to be smart with him and, and ease him back into everything with, I mean, he's coming off of multiple serious injuries. So uh, good, good to see him finally get back to the form that we came to expect from him. Uh, well, almost two years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, I, I remember in that Hawaii game that he looked so strong and before he got injured. So um, exciting that he is back. So let's just start talking. Um, I know a huge question and we will get to damn questions here in a little bit. Cause I know in the lodge, we have a ton. There's some on Twitter. Um, but one of the things that I think is super important and Beaver fans are watching very closely is the quarterback battle. What are your thoughts and what have you seen um, from the quarterbacks? I know um, on Saturday, just in case you haven't read the report, uh, the they, I know they've been switching kind of who's running with the first team, who's running with the second team. Sam Neuer, Entris, and Jebby have both took reps with the first team um, on Saturday. But um, what are you seeing today? That carried into, uh, into today, actually, where we saw – Sam Neuer started with the first team in the first part of practice. Um, he, he went with the ones in the four-minute drill, and then I believe in the the second 11-on-11. 11 11. 
Um, and then Jebbia took over from there. So both guys split pretty much 50-50 reps-wise with the ones today. And um, that was actually the first time that I had seen them split reps in a practice. Normally it's been, you know, one guy gets the ones for one day and then they switch it up for the next. Um, at, at this point, I think I would say that Neuer has taken maybe, well, I mean, they, they, they've split up first team reps with all four quarterbacks really, but I think Neuer is probably 60-40 in terms of opportunities as compared to Tristan. Um, so, you know, I'd hesitate to call him the front runner right now, but I think uh, if there was a way that the coaches might be leaning, it might be towards Neuer, but I mean, this is as usual, I think this is going to go down to the wire and I would not be surprised if we find out Monday of game week, if not on game day, um, who the, who the guy is. Well, so I don't know if you, if you saw today though, but I wonder how much Colorado is kicking themselves right now, because um, just today, Colorado's kind of era parent quarterback, JT Shrout, went down with this, quote, significant knee injury. So I'm wondering if they're kind of kicking themselves that they let him get away. I, I didn't see that, but that's, you know, I think part of the reason that Neuer came to Oregon State is probably because some of those younger guys were starting to emerge as, as options. And um, if, if you've got one year of eligibility, you want to go into a situation where you feel like you can compete and you feel like you have the best chance of getting the job. And um, coming to Oregon State, I think maybe, you know, the writing on the writing might have been on the wall at Colorado that those young guys were were kind of going to come in and maybe take his time. But um, no, everything we've seen from from him in fall camp so far suggests that he is right there in the mix to start if he's not the favorite. So in your opinion, I mean, do you see a situation where Oregon State uses both quarterbacks? It's a possibility. I mean, we, we certainly can't put it past them, especially because we have seen it in the past. Um, I don't know if Smith has necessarily gone with much of a two quarterback approach, but I know we saw that a lot under Anderson. Um, I mean, obviously they use Coletto in certain situations, but it, it would be, it would be interesting. I think they'd be better for it if they went with one guy as opposed to two, just, I, I just feel like the rotation never really works out that well. Um, I, I, I would like to see them kind of settle on a guy, maybe, Maybe not necessarily this week, but I think going into next week, you know, as we start this countdown into into game week, I, I feel like you kind of have to lock in your guy and make sure that he knows that he's he's the guy and he's he's taken all of the reps with the ones because you don't want to be splitting time going into game week and then you know just kind of throwing a guy out there with only limited work with the ones, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. How about running back? I know um, there's been discussion too on that. And we talked about it in our preview last week um, with Deshaun Fenwick, EJ Baylor, any of those, either of those two guys standing out or are we seeing them splitting time as well? Well, I thought it was going to be Fenwick to be honest with you until yeah. today when, when BJ took almost exclusively all of the first team reps at, at running back. And okay. I mean, it, to this point, it has mostly been Fenwick and, and even Trey Lowe, mostly with the first team guys. Um, Baylor has been, I don't want to say demoted, but I mean, he has been kind of stuck with the second team group for most of camp. Um, so it was a bit of a surprise to see him take, like I said, almost exclusively all of the, the first team reps today. But um, no, that's, that's good for BJ to get opportunities to prove himself because it did kind of seem like he was getting passed up a little bit by Fenwick and Lowe, who are obviously both relatively new or completely new to the system. Uh, so three running back approach, maybe, I mean, who knows? I, I, I thought Fenwick was kind of solidifying himself in that featured back role, but um, as, as we've mentioned before with 
with Coach Stewart coming in, having that experience working with committees and everything. I know that's not necessarily the the typical Brian Lindgren approach, but with a new position group coach, maybe we see more than one or two running backs this year. Well, yeah, and during the scrimmage, really we saw quite a bit of Isaiah uh, Newell as well. Mm -hmm. So um, that was more second team, but we did see some. So um, they definitely do have have some talent there. Big another big question. We're gonna I'm jumping around a little bit, but I, I think this is too important not to to address early. Is just that defensive front, the defensive line. What are you seeing? I mean, we saw in the, what I saw in the scrimmage was a defense that completely dominated the entire scrimmage. Um, part of that can be attributed to a very vanilla run first offense that they were kind of, you know, installed. But um, the defense looked really strong. They looked really amped up. They were fired up. Um, and that is with, you know, you're missing Hodgins, Shad. Um, just talk about what you're seeing from that defensive line. Well, it's certainly not necessarily rare to see a defense kind of dominate things early in camp. Um, as you mentioned, you, you, they, they know what's coming at them. The offense hasn't really fully installed the playbook yet. Um, so like I said, it, it's, it's just not uncommon to see that, but it is a good sign, I think, for this defense missing its potentially its two best players on the defensive line for them to still show that dominance. I, I think that says something about the progress of the overall unit. I would hesitate to read into it much as far as the D line goes, because I think come game one without Hodgins out there, you know, you're missing a couple of tackles per game. You're missing a guy who started 30 games in his career. Um, but, but the guys behind him have, have really stepped up as far as playmaking goes in camp. Uh, Sione Lolohea, true freshman stepping in and making really play after play, like, like every single day that he makes at least one very nice stop in live drills against a running back. And that's, um, like I said, I like, that's a, that's a true freshman coming in and making an immediate impact with the second and first team defense. Uh, Tavis Shippen has gotten some run as well with the ones in Hobson in Hodgins absence. Um, but it's, it's going to be kind of a, it's, it's going to be a full on rotation. I think at that position to, to fill the gap, you always rotate a lot at defensive line, but especially when you have, such a high impact player as Hodgins on the sideline. Um, you're going to need to keep somebody fresh in there at all times. You, you mentioned Tavis Shippen. That was one of the really highly recruited Juco guys that came in um, last year. I know he was sidelined with, with injury and, and illness. How is he looking? Is he, is he ready to go? Do you think he will make an impact this year? Definitely more ready to go than last year. I, I know he missed last year with uh, illness, I, th I think. Mono, I think. So just so yeah. nobody's speculating that he was out with another virus that has been very prevalent. <laughs> it was mono. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so he missed, you know, he missed all of last year. And I think there was hesitation that maybe, oh no, did that set him back a little bit? Um, so we were, we were really curious to see what he was able to do this off season. And I think he's, he's kind of starting to show some of that potential that he came in with. Um, he hasn't locked up a starting role or anything with, with Hodgins out, but I think he's firmly in that rotation with he and Lolo are the, the two younger guys that I'm kind of looking at as, as possible guys that could come in and fill in for Hodgins. Um, so, you know, like I said, it's, it, it'll be a rotation, but he's right there with them. Okay. And how about um, James Rawls? We saw some of him last year, but also, Jeremy Reichner, who went down last mm -hmm. year with an ACL and is back in, in the mix. Reichner was out there a lot more in the beginning of camp, I think. I've seen less of him over the last couple of days as 
Lodlehe and Schiffen have gotten more run. I think okay. that's kind of come at the expense of Reichner and Rawls. Um, but I mean, I, I keep going back to this, but it is truly just going to be all hands on deck on this defensive line. There's not a whole lot of size out there, as as we know. I mean, that has been the issue for this group. And um, if if you lack size, you have to make sure that people are fresh because, you know, it's, it's, it's just an important position to have full, healthy, fresh, energized bodies at. So um, just because they're not necessarily getting a ton of run right now doesn't mean that they won't later in camp. And it certainly doesn't mean that they won't when the season rolls around. True, true. Um, let's talk a little secondary as well. So, you know, in the past, past year or two even, we've seen the secondary A not make plays. We've also seen the, the defense get, or the, the secondary get penalized. There was a, a moment at the end of the scrimmage on Saturday. And like I said earlier, that the defense coaches, the defensive players were so jacked up and we were, the media was on the side of the defense. So we could hear the coaches and if you haven't been around to hear Coach Bray yell at his players or um, Coach Blue, it's it's something because I think I think these guys, those two coaches especially, really identify with their players. Um, both look like they could actually line up and play. Um, but Coach Blue got really really fired up at newcomer Elijah Jones in red zone drills. Um, Elijah actually it was third and goal offense does a little, a little pass and Elijah Jones totally manhandled this guy and got called for holding and coach blue came unglued and, and sat him down on the bench. And, um, it, it was, it was one of those moments. I think that a fan would have been excited to see just because you can tell that this isn't going to be accepted, that these stupid, um, mental mistakes are something that the coaches are really, really focused on early. So, um, that was something that stood out to me, but the secondary, I will say my player of the scrimmage was Jaden Robinson. And I know he's come up in your reports as well. Just talk about some of those guys. I think Rajon or uh, Rajon Wright has also stepped up big time. Who are you seeing that's making an impact maybe that you didn't expect, or maybe that you did expect in the secondary. So I'm glad that you mentioned Jaden Robinson because he actually took Rajon Wright's spot with the first team group today, which was, I mean, that's, that's kind of, it's just, it's a surprise, really. Yeah. That's that's the best way you can put it because Rajon has been the number one defensive back in that room this year. And I think it was, you know, I don't think this is any knock against, against Wright. I think it's more just a testament to the way that Robinson has played over the last week or so that um, the coaches want to see what he can do with the first teamers. You know, yeah. he's, he's probably not going to start when, when week one rolls around because I do think that Jones and Wright have locked up their starting spots. But um, this is a case of a guy who has made play after play over the last probably five days or so, I think is when he started to, to break out a little bit and they want to reward him with opportunities with the first team. And that's exciting for a guy like that to come in and kind of prove himself and, and work his way up the ladder. Because uh, if, if we're being honest, you know, Jaden Robinson was buried on the depth chart, absolutely buried since, since he got to Oregon state and um, he, he's making interceptions, you know, he's locking up some of the strongest receivers out there. Um, he's, he's just been completely, he, he's been lights out. He's, he's been locking down receivers. And like I said, two, coaches, picks. two picks on Saturday at the scrimmage. One was a mm -hmm. hundred yard pick six, which is, you know, no, no small feat. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's, it's, it's exciting to see a guy like that kind of work his way up. And, 
um, I, I think it would be cool for him to kind of carve out a little little role for himself. Yeah, yeah. I, and he was one I remember when when Oregon State recruited him. Um, it was one of those kind of last minute February, right before signing day. And Brandon Huffman, he was Jaden actually played at the high school Brandon Huffman's kids went to, um, in, or or the opponent, but Brandon's up in Auburn, Washington. And Brandon talked about just he had tons of potential, but he was so raw. And so I think maybe we're starting to see some of that potential coaches saw in him. Um, but yeah, I, you had mentioned, you had mentioned him at practice from practice last week that I saw on Saturday, like I said, the two picks were the first one was great because I mean, that's like a, that's a 12 point swing right there, a, a pick six in the end zone. But um, you know, you prevent one touchdown score one for your, for, for your team, but to have a second one, it I mean, it was really, it really sealed it up that, wow, this kid has made huge, huge progress. Um, okay. So this one, this is kind of another question. I we're kind of going through some of the, the questions, but I think it's I think it's important too because we've talked a lot about wide receivers and just how deep that group is. How have have the new guys? Let's let's just talk a little bit um, about the new guys. How they are? It's, it's Makaya Tongue and um, Dunmore, John Dunmore. Have you seen those guys much? I what I saw from Makaya, you know, he hurt himself. Was it the first day of spring camp? Pulled a, a first, hamstring. Yeah, first, first or second. Day or two. It, was, it was super early. It was super early. Um, so we didn't see him at all at spring. First of all, he wears number nine and he looks like he could be Hamilton Rashid. He's big. He's probably <laughs> he totally the biggest. Does. What? He, he totally does. I mean, he's I, huge. He, yeah, it's, he's he's, huge. A, he's a wide receiver in a linebacker's body. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I actually looked at one of the other media people on Saturday and I'm like, if wide receiver doesn't work out, maybe his dad could help him and he could jump over to safety because he's got the body for it. But um, what have you seen from those guys? Too early to tell. Do you think they'll make impacts? What do you, what do you see? Too early to tell, in my opinion, still. Um, they have gotten a lot of run, but mostly with those second and third team groups, which is not uncommon for newcomers, especially, um, especially younger guys. I, I think coaches want to see them prove it and, you know, um, they don't want to just hand out roles based off of some guy's recruiting profile or the fact that he's coming in from an SEC or Big Ten school. Um, you, you know, they, they want him to prove it. And I think that they're working their way up. They're still very young, as we mentioned. I, I know that they're, you know, Micaiah Tung's a Georgia guy and, and John Dunmore went to Penn State. You might think that, oh, well, if they're at these big programs, they should come in and, and fill in a starting spot right away. But that's not necessarily always the case. And that's not necessarily... Um, a fair expectation for them as they kind of work their way into the system. But I have seen some pretty nice plays by both of them, um, just getting themselves into space. And with, with Tongue in particular, just his strength, I think, is the thing that stands out. His ability to separate from defenders is – that's going to be a big weapon, I think, for him and, and for the offense, whereas John Dunmore is more of a speed guy. Um, and it, another newcomer that we haven't mentioned yet is Jimmy Valson from, from Texas, true freshman. He's – uh, I don't have his height off the top of my head, but I know six he's two, the, six, three. Yeah, that sounds right. He's the tallest receiver in the group and he's a true freshman. And um, what we saw from Zariah Beeson last year, this receiver from Texas coming in is maybe a little bit overlooked, comes out, carves out a starting role for himself. And now he's, you know, one of the top players on the team. I think Volson has that, that exact same potential to him. And okay. I'm not going to come out and say that, you know, this guy's going to start this year, but um, he had a string of, I think it was three completions in a row from Sam Vidlack today with a third team offense where he picked okay. up, I want to say it was a 30 yard pickup, then 10, then nine, something like that. 
Um, so three straight plays where, you know, he's, he's high pointing the ball on the sideline, Bidlack's putting it right where, where he can only get it. Um, and I, I think those two have a really nice connection and maybe that's kind of a, a window into the future, a little bit of maybe a, a combination that we could see a lot of next year, or year after something like that. And I, and I think receivers too, it's, it's when you, you bring up those Jucos and, and Dunmore and Makaya, um, it's, it's also remember that it takes them a while. I mean, I think we started to see some glimpses of Harrison last season, but I think we see more from him this year after he's been in the system. But one of the areas I, I know before the season started all summer, Carter, you and I have been talking about the strength at tight end. And it seems like we haven't talked tight end at all. What I, I did. And coach Smith mentioned this media day, and I don't know if you've like taken a look, but Luke Musgrave has totally transformed his body. I mean, he's huge. Um, and that whole room, I mean, you look at, you look at the tight ends. I mean, Jake Overman stands out. Um, you have, um, Tommy Spencer. Whole, Tommy Spencer, and he's a new guy, another new guy. Um, there's just, there's a lot of height, a lot of athleticism in that room. Um, when I look at them and this, I, and I'm not trying to equate this, but I see a lot of similarities to a Stanford tight end. And I, I think that's really what Oregon State's going to try to do you know, in the future is, is utilize some of those bigger bodies. Um, but what have you seen? Because like I said, I think we all were kind of talking about how important the tight ends were going to be, but yet we haven't really talked about them much this first week. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you on that Stanford comp. I, I think it's very similar just in, not only in the build of some of the players, but just the way that they're getting used. Um, Oregon State's not going to shy away from using a tight end screen, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's kind of the, it, I think it speaks to the fact that they have the kind of talent in that room that they need to get them the ball. Um, Tegan Quatoriano is, he's, he's obviously a, a block first guy, but he has shown an ability to get downfield. And I'm curious to see what he shows as far as that is concerned when he returns to the field, because he was really committed to working on his route running and, and, and catching in the spring. And we saw some improvements there. So I want to see, if that's kind of something that he's continued to develop a little bit as this offseason has rolled along. I know obviously he's missed the last couple of weeks, but um, if, if he can show continued development there, I think he's going to be a big part of the receiving game as well. But the, the nice thing about this group is it's so deep and you have so many guys who can catch the ball that Tegan doesn't need to be a great receiver because you have other guys that you can go to and, and you can leave Tegan on the field with them, have him block. And then you throw Musgrave and, um, you know, the younger guys too, Overman, Musgrave, or um, sorry, Spencer, Spencer, and even JT Byrne has gotten a little bit of run too. You yeah. could throw any of those guys out there as receivers with Tegan still on the field. So that's just the versatility of the group. It's the depth, um, it's the strength, the athleticism, and it's it's really exciting because I think we're, we're kind of entering this new era of the Oregon State offense with the tight ends being a, a, a huge focal point. Yeah, I think I think we're finally seeing the offense built the way coach Smith has envisioned it being built um, with the tight ends, with the, the speed at wide receiver. I think we're starting to see some extra height at wide receiver, which I think we were missing mm -hmm. for a while. Um, and I think with Goldbranson, especially Goldbranson and Bidlack, the future is going to be more downfield, more downfield passes is what I, I kind of envision. Um, we haven't talked about linebackers, but um, I still think the two best players on the team are Avery Roberts and Omar Spates. Um, those two, hopefully they can stay healthy, but um, any young guys popping up at uh, linebacker that you've, you've seen? 
Yeah. So if, if the listeners remember, I think it was last week when I, when I said, if there's a young guy who I think is going to make an impact this year on the defense, it'll be Easton Mascarenas. You did. You said that last week. Today was the first day that we saw him out there with the second team group. Okay. Um, he, he, he took Kyrie Fisher's spot next to Coletto in the, uh, the second team inside linebacker group. And, um, you know, he, he didn't have very many opportunities to make plays, but the fact that he's out there just shows that he has already proven his playmaking and his athleticism to the point where the coaches are willing to give a true freshman, a, a second team spot in, in camp. So of course, you know, you have to take it with a grain of salt. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be in the rotation when the season rolls around, but it is, it's a good sign for him to see that he's already working his way onto the two deep in, in camp, um, as a true freshman. And I know that, I mentioned Sione Lolahea earlier as, as a freshman that I think can make an impact on the defense. And with that Hodgins injury, that just makes that even more of a, a possibility. But I definitely look for Mascarenas to, to kind of keep working his way up. And um, I, I do think that playing an inside linebacker is going to hamper his opportunity to, to get reps because you have an Avery Roberts and Omar Spates in front of you on the depth chart. But uh, good to see him out there with with the second teamers, and I, I think, like I said, it's just a testament to kind of his his athleticism. That was the reason last week I said I think he could make a, an impact and, and work ethic. And I, like you said, yes, it might be tough to get some minutes away from Avery and Omar, but I mean, heck, what what two guys to learn from for him? I mean, it, mm-hmm. and I know um, in talking with Easton before and just hearing from his coaches, just what a strong work ethic he has, and he's hungry. So that'll be fun to watch. Um, just want to remind our listeners that if you haven't been in the lodge to read Carter's uh, post-practice rundowns, you have to, the notebooks, you have to get in there because they are the most detailed reports that you're going to find anywhere. Um, It keeps you up to date. It keeps you what, no, he's basically your eyes at the practice field. So um, definitely jump in and and as a added bonus uh, today, Monday, I will post this Monday evening, but Tuesday, um, August 17th through August 18th, we are offering 75% off annual subscriptions to Beaver Blitz. Crazy, crazy deal. Um, you, I, I'm kind of playing it up because it is the biggest, the best deal we have all year. Uh, 75% off equates to 224 a month. And so um, you can get the 12 months for, it's under $30. So it's totally worth it. Um, you'll get all the great coverage, basketball, baseball, football, which is a year round deal with recruiting. So Join us in the lodge. We have great discussions and it's a great group. So don't forget about that. But I think it's time for some damn questions, Carter. What do you think? Yeah. First time of the, or the first one of the, the season. Let's do it. 2021 is kicking off some damn questions. So I'm going to pull them up here. Um, there's a, there's a lot of good ones. And so if you don't get your uh, question answered, I, I, we did answer quite a few, I think just throughout the pod, but um, just know, keep, keep posting because we'll, we'll get one picked here um, in the, in the, during the season, but I'm going to start with one from Reeser Beaver 23 in the lodge. He says he, he actually posted three, but I think the one that I really want you to answer Carter is what in your opinion would be a successful season in year four for Jonathan Smith? What does it look like? Well, a a bowl game, I think, right. Like, I think that's kind of in assessing the pulse of the fan base. I think that's kind of not necessarily maybe the expectation, but, um, I, I think it would leave them the most satisfied. You know, obviously this team's not going to go 12 and 0 or anything. So I think a, a realistic goal is to break a streak that has 
kind of been plaguing this program for eight years now of, of not making the postseason. And if there's a year for him to do it, I think it's this year because you've got this, this nice mix of um, incoming talent with veteran returners. And it's let, let's be honest, like the, the, the trajectory of the program before last year's wacky season had them on this path where going into last year, if it was a regular season, we're expecting a bowl game. Right. Yeah. So I, I think for the trajectory to remain the way it was before COVID disrupted everything, um, they're going to have to make a bowl game. And if, if they don't, maybe you start looking at some shakeups on the staff. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to make any predictions or anything. And I, I think Smith's, Smith's job is very, very much so safe. Um, but, you know, at, at some point you have to start kind of running down the list of assistants. And if, if you're not getting results in year four, um, it, it might be about time to, to change something up if it's not working. Yeah. So cold snack, that's actually a good segue. Cold snack asked, is this a make or break year for Tibisar? Yeah, probably. Especially, you know, with the defense being the thing that's kind of held back this team over the last couple of years, and especially this year too, I think with the defensive line entering year four, you know, if, if there's no progress, something has to change. Um, the linebackers have been great. No, no worries there. I, I think the secondary is very solid this year. Um, but if, if the D line continues to hold this team back, if that's the reason that they don't, they don't make a bowl game. I feel like you do have to move on and, and just find somebody who can either recruit better talent at that position or make better use of the talent that you already have on campus. Um, so, so yeah, like I, I, I guess, yes, I would, ca I would characterize this as a, as a make or break year. So for, for Tibbs. Cold, cold snack also has a, another really good question. And we did not address this earlier, but after the D line is special teams, the most worrisome unit going into the season. It's an interesting point, I guess, potentially. Yeah. Because if, if there's a group outside of the D line that, that I would say has lost this team games over the last two, three years, it probably is the special teams group with blunders in the punting game. Maybe, maybe it's a, a bad snap or something and a, a punt gets blocked or um, they allow a returner to go 70 yards for a touchdown like they did at Utah last year. I think Oregon the year before. Um, yeah. This, this group has, certainly had its share of plays that have flipped the script in games. Now that's not to say that they haven't made plays themselves because those block punts they had last year against Cal and Washington were absolutely game changers. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it is a little worrisome, but again, I, I do think it is getting better with the recruiting uptick that we've seen more depth across the board. That's always going to result in better special teams play. Well, and I've also been really impressed for what I've seen of Everett Hayes. I think um, for the first time in several years, this is going to be a kicking game that at least field goals that I actually have some confidence in. Yeah, he's, he's consistent I and mean, he has an insanely strong leg. Last year, I know we didn't see it in the regular season necessarily, but um, I, I saw in practice him make, you know, 50 plus yard field goals. I think I saw him make even a 60 yard or so. Uh -huh. He's got, he's got great, great leg strength and, as he gains a little more confidence entering his now third year as Oregon State's kicker, I think he's going to be really, I think he's going to be really dependable. And Atticus Sappington was just added to the roster a couple of days ago. First, I mean, all American first, first team for his name alone. <laughs> it's, it's a great name, it is a good uh, name. but he actually made a pair of 43 yarders today at practice. And, okay. okay. Um, his, his leg strength is it's definitely not anywhere near Hayes. I, I think he's more of a kind of a 
an accuracy focused kind of kicker, but um, to make a couple of 43 yarders in your like third day with the team, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. As a, as a freshman, that's we'll take mm -hmm. it. Um, Mr. Gray has a question for you, Carter. Looking at this year's schedule, would you rather the Beavs beat the four South Division opponents or the four North Division opponents not named U of O to be bowl eligible? Hmm. Good question. In fact, let me pull up the schedule real quick. If you want to kind of. I, I somehow, I don't know blabber. how you can say that you're not including U of O because I mean, I guess that's a given that you always want to beat U of O. Okay, so I've got the I've got the schedule pulled up here. So the the South Division crossovers: you get Arizona State, and you USC. get Colorado, you get Utah, and you get USC. Yeah. That USC win, I, I think if you pull off that win against USC, that's huge. It breaks a streak of what sixty years without winning in LA. Yeah, I think they the last time they won was I think nineteen sixty two that they won in the Coliseum. Yeah. And Before USC, my time, even Carter, I was not even born then. Yeah, I mean that's that is a long streak. We we think the Stanford streak is bad, but yeah, that's that's one that needs to get broken sooner rather than later. USC is going to be ranked at that point too in the season too, so I think that'd be a huge win, um, and it would really set the tone for the rest of the conference season because that is the conference opener. So uh, if you could get that, it would be huge. Utah at home would be nice to get that one, and then. Who knows about ASU? Who, who knows who's going to be on that coaching staff at the end of the year? But um, yeah, just just looking at the breakdown of the teams they play from the two divisions, I think the better wins would come from the South if if you're throwing up the Oregon game. So beating USC and Arizona State alone, I mean that's yeah. and Utah. You, yeah, you're playing. You're playing. Well. Yeah, you're playing easily the three best teams in that division. No offense to, to Colorado or anything, but um, yeah, those those three wins would be would be pretty big. And then, and you look at recruiting and Oregon state goes head to head with ASU a lot. They go head to head with Utah a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so, and to go into LA and, and beat USC on their home turf. It would be, yeah. You know, maybe exposure. you tap into a little bit of, a little bit of that LA recruiting pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and that's, yeah. Oregon state wants to recruit LA strong too. Um, okay. RDU Beaver says, I know coach Smith's biggest win came last year versus Oregon, but do you think a week one Purdue victory would top that. I, I mean, I, and he goes I, on I to say, you know, talking about how Oregon State kind of has struggled in the past with season openers and, and on the road. It would certainly be a big win, and I think it would set the tone for the for the rest of the season right away. You know, you'd be opening up the possibility of going three and zero in non conference, which Oregon State hasn't done. In, I don't know how long at this point, um, but no, I, I I don't think there's any game on this roster or any game on the schedule that would be bigger to win than that one against Oregon last year, save for maybe this year's Oregon game. Um, that's just, it was, it's a monumental win for the program. It's again, it's, it's too bad that Beaver nation wasn't there to witness it because um, you know, selfishly, I was, I was very happy to be there in, in the press box to witness, you know, a, a historic event in Jonathan Smith's tenure. Um, but yeah, it's that's that's a hard one to top, I think, with with really any game on the schedule, save for this year's Oregon game. I, I love seeing some new names that we haven't seen. So these are this is kind of fun. Burley Boy 12, a little bit different, but I think it's it's a good topic to talk about a little bit. Um, Burley Boy 12 says, what are the best things to do on a game day in Corvallis for an out-of-towner? Tailgating, obviously. Yeah. I think I think you, you know, you find a a group to tailgate with and, and take in that experience. But also if you're, if you're trying to just kind of 
explore Corvallis a little bit. Just go for a walk down Monroe, hit up, you know, some of some of the, the college bars there and maybe get some food at American Dream or, or Bombs Away. Um, there's some kind of iconic Corvallis. Quad filters. Uh-huh. There, there's some, you know, very, very well-known spots. Oh, local boys, obviously can't forget local oh, boys. Um, so yeah, just take a, take a stroll down Monroe and, and see what's going on. And then on, walk through campus. The food scene. Yeah, get some food and then walk through campus if it's not like pouring down rain and miserable. Mm-hmm. And then around the stadium, be really nice and, and befriend some tailgaters and see if maybe be carrying a pack of beer and maybe get invited in and hang out because Beaver fans, I think, are super, super welcoming. Mm-hmm. I think if, if you're friendly, I think Beaver fans are friendly. I'll add, I, I think if, I mean, I, I don't know what game this individual is trying to go to, but if you're here for a night game, you know, just get here early and, and take in everything Corvallis has to offer. Um, you know, if, if you're into hiking, there's plenty of, of cool spots here. If you want to get here super early, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff to do in Corvallis and especially on a game day when, um, when everybody's focused on the fact that there was a football game that day, you know, this, this, this town is very truly a college town that embraces that. And, um, you're going to run into a lot of Oregon state football fans on a game day. So get here as early as you can, or, or stay as late as you can, if it's an earlier game and just kind of take it all in. Yeah. And I, you know, Carter mentioned Monroe street and that's right close to campus, but if you are there early head down, down old town, like third street, it's mm-hmm. a cool town. There's some great restaurants on the waterfront. We, you know, I think, I think Carter, I think you and I need some sponsorships. So <laughs> nobody's paying Beaver Blitz NIL for repping businesses, but you know, Claude's, We'll work for fries. We'll work for beer. Super at market. So there's lots of places, though. Um, and we'll have some definite, um, maybe that's a good a thread to put in the lodge and people can post their their game day go-tos, but um, some newer spots. And if you're spending the night, I mean, then you always have some of the, I, and I am old, so I am not the person to ask about the, the nightlife, but I do know the peacock is still around. So it is. And if you want breakfast the next morning, go to Wisecracks downtown. Yeah. You and I met up for, we did. for lunch in the in the spring. And um, best breakfast in town, in my opinion, Wisecracks downtown. It's super, super good. So look at NIL right here. Carter Baines. Carter Baines <laughs> will, needs a NIL. We'll, we'll, take a, we'll take a local boy sponsorship for, for some free Mac salad. That's for sure. Exactly. Uh, I don't like Mac salad. <laughs> what is well, it? It's like 5A all rice is my, my go-to. Um, do you have coach Morrow OSU, who is a longtime Beaver Blitz member? He wants to know, are, are you concerned about any guys transferring out, out now that fall campus started? Nobody really comes to mind, to be honest. I, I think everybody has just gotten so many opportunities, um, with various groups this fall that, um, nobody's necessarily buried at any position. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say, um, there's always going to be attrition. That's, yeah. that's a given, you know, you're not going to escape that, but I think this team has done a really good job of, um, kind of dedicating an emphasis to getting a lot of guys turns with first and second team groups. And they're using both fields too, when they're on the, on the practice fields, they're using both fields for live reps, um, which is something that I haven't really, um, haven't really seen them do a whole lot of before. Um, just an emphasis to get as, as many guys, as much time on the field as possible. So, and we're seeing yeah, young guys. Yeah, so um, this was something coach Riley used to do and it used to be at the end of practice, but um, we're seeing this more during practice. 
is the maybe like, I don't know if they'd be considered fourth team, but you'll see the freshmen go out and you'll see Henry Buckles at center and, and Sam Bidlock mm-hmm. at quarterback and Demir Collins. So um, you see all those young guys getting reps together. And, um, you know, some of those guys most likely will be playing maybe earlier than others, but at the same time, it's good to get those guys reps together so that they build that, that, um, that connection as well. Carter, it's been fun. This, this uh, quad has flown by. Um, I know next week we will go over again, because I think in this next week, we're really going to start seeing some separation with the depth chart. So that is something I want you to keep an eye on this week at practice depth chart, um, more install on offense. So they will be, you know, some different looks for the defense. I see us see more passing and, uh, and a lot more pads. So not as much, we don't have the acclimation days to, to work in. So I know next week we'll have a lot more updates on, on where guys are. Um, again, the uh, August 17th and August 18th, you can save 75% off fever blitz. Um, so I would love to see you guys join Carter and I and JP and Peter and Raju um, and all the rest of the great lodge members because it's a, it's a community. And it makes me actually think of a, a post I saw or a tweet from AJ Stewart, uh, the new Oregon State running back coach and his son was down with him on the field and he is little, little guy. And, and the reason it stuck out to me is I sat behind uh, AJ's wife and, and this little boy at the end of the scrimmage and super cute. And he's watching and all these kids, all the coaches, kids are running around. But he tweeted about how awesome it was. His little boy was down and saying, he never says daddy has to go to work. He's daddy gets to go coach his football players. And to be able to be at a place like Oregon State where the players' families can live so close, it's, it's not like an LA where families are living 20, 30 miles away from, from the Coliseum. These coaches and their wives are able to come by practice. They're, they're able to hang out. And it kind of, it, it made me think too, is this is a program that let me, a media member, bring my own kids to practice a couple times a, a year just because grandma couldn't watch them or something. And just the welcomeness and the, and the community that Oregon State has is, is something that I don't think you see everywhere. So um, if you're not following those guys on Twitter, make sure you follow the coaches and uh, at Carter Baines and at Angie Machado one. But we will be back next week. Carter, stay cool, stay hydrated. You are getting tan, I must say. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week with another episode of the Dan Podcast.